Science fiction has helped society look to the future with shows like Star Trek, Doctor Who, and Battlestar Galactica. And movies like Star Wars, The Matrix, and The Avengers have helped us pioneer the use of new technologies and to never give up on the human spirit. Fantasy stories like The Lord of the Rings, The Chronicles of Narnia, and even the game Dungeons and Dragons have helped us look at the past with an open mind, but have led us to question the fundamental principles like good and evil, right and wrong, reality versus fantasy, and to question our morality versus our humanity. Cosplay has always blurred the lines between science fiction, fantasy, and reality. For those to participate in the hobby, advancements in technology have caused more and more people to participate in cosplay. With the addition of 3D and resin printers, it's even easier to make and mass-produce the costumes and props from our favorite TV shows and movies. To the public, the ever-expanding worlds of science fiction and comic book conventions have led to more and more cosplayer interactions. This podcast is your exclusive space for science fiction news. This podcast is your place to catch up on the world of fantasy. This podcast is your place to talk about the role of cosplay. This podcast is... The Galaxy Folks, welcome to this episode of the Galaxy Cast, the second one of 2021. And you know, you've heard some new intros and outros, and I hope you're enjoying all these this hard work that we're putting in. And we are here to talk with you today about several things. We're going to talk with you about the Amazon Lord of the Rings TV show and what we know about it up to this point. We're going to talk about Moon Knight. That's right, there's a TV show for Marvel's Moon Knight coming out, and then we're going to give you a special spoilery spoilery episode about falcon and winter soldier because some toys that have come out have revealed some major information there then we will take a break and we will come back and talk about uh it's episode four of season two of the mandalorian episode three episode three thank you three so we've had a ton of teasers about what amazon studios is going to do about the lord of the rings tv series so we're now we're being told what is going to happen in this show, which actually has me like foaming at the mouth about just this one paragraph they released. So here's what they say. It's set to take place in the Second Age, which, by the way, if you are unaware, you know, even as a Lord of the Rings fan, maybe you're not aware, the Lord of the Rings itself, the actual movies, not The Hobbit, the Lord of the Rings, takes place in the Third Age. The Hobbit takes place at the end, the very tail end of the Second Age. Okay. The second so age, is by the way, the Hobbit. Yes, uh, which lasted. The second age lasted thirty-four hundred years, according to the Tolkien books. Holy crap! Uh, the synopsis will see the rise of the greatest villain that ever flowed from Tolkien's pen, and we all know who that is. You know who that is, right? Saruman? No, no, no. Um, I'm, I'm close, but it's the other S guy. The other S guy. He's Sauron. He li- Sauron. He lives in the, the eye of the freaking right, tower. He's the eye. Uh, I've always wondered how Sauron came to power, and the fact that they're gonna cover that i'm like i mean they yeah. kind of hinted at his power before right, Lord of the rings right. in the hobbit when he so here's the official was a necromancer yeah or? he was a necro he was supposedly one of the greatest necromancers out there mm-hmm. 
So here's the official paragraph from Amazon. Amazon Studios' forthcoming series brings to screens for the first time the heroic legends of the fabled Second Age of Middle-Earth's history. This epic drama is set thousands of years before the events of J.R.R. Tolkien's The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings, and will take viewers back to an era in which great powers were forged. Kingdoms rose to glory and fell to ruin. Unlikely heroes were tested. Hope hung by the finest of threads. And the greatest villain that ever flowed from Tolkien's pen threatened to cover all the world in darkness. Beginning in a time of relative peace, the series follows an ensemble cast of characters, both familiar and new, as they confront the long-feared re-emergence to evil of Middle-earth. From the darkest depths of the Misty Mountains to the majestic forests of the elf capital of Linden, which that would be kind of cool, to the breathtaking island kingdom of Numenor, which we've never seen, to the furthest reaches of the map, these kingdoms and characters will carve out legacies that live on long after they are gone. Of course, they cover in this article at Hype Beast that the greatest villain could be referring to Sauron. Um, that's kind of like a okay? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Who rose again during the early years of the Second Age? I just want to sound by the fat so I can play it every once in a while. You're, you're welcome. Duh, duh. Yeah, you'll make that, we'll make that my ringtone. Duh, duh, duh. <laughs> Who's calling? Dude, Dad. <laughs> this period saw the creation of the One Ring and the War of the Last Alliance. So you're also going to see a Sealdor, right? We should. Uh, I was going to say, you might right? see a Sealdor really, that really, really young. For the ring. That saw a Sealdor cut the One Ring from Sauron's finger. So I'm thinking you got to see a young a Sealdor. Almost okay. a preteen? <laughs> uh, well, maybe. Uh, maybe even a child is Sealdor. I'm thinking that may be part I of mean, it. I mean, we right? might see a really, really young Elrond, too. Possibly. Uh, they lived generations. Correct. Yes. They and lived quite a long time. My understanding was he had lived 582 years. I might be wrong about that. Somebody's going to fact check me, I'm sure, on, on that. But I'm excited. I think this is really cool. They were going thousands of years before The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings. I think it's a good idea don't try to mess around with the stuff that's already yeah. been done because personally i think you don't mess with tolkien's work sorry don't mess with it but you can play in his play box without messing up his work and i think that's exactly they're doing the right thing this is what star wars should have done instead of messing around with luke skywalker go play around in a you know in the sandbox somewhere else <laughs> without having to mess with luke skywalker you could have done it and no you had to play with luke and you didn't need to and I'm just kind of angry about I'm sensing that. some tension here, just a little. So uh, I'd love to hear what you guys have to say. Email us at galaxycastgmail.com. Are you excited about the Lord of the Rings series? Uh, I am a little concerned about quality of production because when you think about Lord of the Rings, right? There's a pretty high standard here. I mean, the the quality say, in those movies was absolutely phenomenal. What a workshop did an, a, an absolutely phenomenal job with armor and swords and spears and shields and stuff that just looked amazing. I, I want to know the budget Peter Jackson had no, to have no, for you know, what issue. You would froth at the I, mouth. I would imagine it's like tens of thousands, but he if did, not hundreds of The thousands. one thing he did for the studio that saved them tons of money was filming all three films in the same two-year time span, which saved them a ton of money. Instead of doing a film, waiting two years, doing a film, waiting two years, by doing all three films at the same time, he actually saved the, the a ton, a ton of money. And, and maybe they're going to, I don't know. Isn't I, that what you think they should be doing with the, leg uh, the Narnia books? I, instead yes, of trying to film them. Instead of when, because that's why we lost, right? We the, lost the, the newest Disney era released the first three. It was right. Narnia, we, it was and then we Prince never Caspian, saw the rest of them. and then it was Dawn, uh, Voyage of the Dawn Treader. And I think what happened is by that point, either Disney didn't like the reception on the Voyage I, of the Dawn Treader or it was finances. 
It was it both. Never. It was happened. both. It oh, did it was not both. get a, a well reception of Don Treader. It did not make the money back that it was supposed to make back that Disney was expecting. So between you know financial push, the fact that Disney's not getting the audience they wanted, they kind of ditched it. And that's what I'm saying. If you're going to do something like Chronicles of Narnia that's six books long, right, you should be doing all six movies at the same time. So Sorry. take all six books and do take it in them six years. Take them all and year. do it all one, like, do it in two years. Like, two years. Crank really? out, oh. you know, six movies in two years. Yeah, it's that, crazy. That would be difficult. I think maybe know, four to six years would be a but, little more but fair hey, on time. If you're going to do it and you're going to do it right, I think that's the way you got to do it. So, that I mean, that's my yeah. personal opinion. That's the... Not necessarily the truth, but that's my personal opinion. My curious thing about the Lord of the Rings thing is I played a bit of the game uh, called Shadow of Mordor. That particular game takes place in a weird spot where it talks about Mordor being ruled by a... As if like a kingdom of men. Yes. So instead of it being like you had... Mordor was actually a dark part of the kingdom of men. Matter of fact, Mordor actually was kind of like... Okay, so you have Rohan, right, and you have Gondor, Gondor, and Numenor, right? Mordor was part of those ores. <laughs> oh, so okay. it was technically owned by it was a, it was. a land was by a, the humans. Correct, it was a land of humans. What happened was the humans worshipped the wrong people, and oh. fell into darkness worshiping those wrong people. Okay, so now, the game doesn't get it right. <laughs> no, because, the game does not get it right because the game basically says the orcs invaded. Right. Slaughtering everyone. Correct. And even the main well, character's husband in, and wife. In, in the are, lore of Lord of the Rings, yeah. orcs are men that fell to this evil that bereft their land, okay? Now, oh. the reason it's not covered that way, and I'm going to say this and a lot of people are going to hate me, but it's the truth. I'm sorry. It's Tolkien's beliefs. Tolkien wrote the orcs in to be the scourge that he saw as the Muslim community oh well that he was they a devout were, christian that they too, were christians so. that turned the wrong way right like they believed mm. the wrong god by accident okay mm. and that was tolkien's take so that's why orcs have their masters which are the the wizards kind of like the rest of the earth has their masters which are wizards it, it's just they worshiped the wrong masters the dark masters and went the wrong way Okay. Thus, the Haram uh, and the Haradrim end up worshiping Mordor as well. If you remember in the last movie, The Return of the King, that yeah. was the return of the people from the east, right? That was supposed to be a return of the Muslims coming back. Is that back. the people riding on the Ulfants? Yeah, and the such? Ol- okay. Ulfants, yes. I, I, didn't, I didn't remember yes. what their character so name that, was. So that was kind of supposed to be the return of the other religion trying to attack Christianity. So again, Tolkien's got, like, we've talked about, there's, there's, how would you call it? It would be imagery. I was going to say symbolism. Symbolism, imagery, all that kind of stuff. So that's, that's where the imagery kind of comes in. Kind of like a lot of people believe the ring represents Christ's cross. Oh. Right? I would think it would have represented something of a hand of Satan. No, actually it represents Christ's cross because think about it. Everybody bears the cross on its way to its destruction. I never thought of it that way, huh? No. <laughs> so. I always thought it was like a source of evil's bane, like a I would consider it like well, a and you portion could. of Satan's soul you that could look you at have it to that go way. drop into the hell pit so it doesn't come back. And Christians could look at the cross as an evil thing because who died on the cross? Oh. Right? Okay. So it could be okay. viewed as okay. good or bad, depending on oh. how you look at it, right? Ah, oh, from a certain point of view. <laughs> I hate I feel that. Like we're I hate talk that about line. That. I feel like we're going to talk about that later in this episode. I maybe. hate that line. <laughs> You and Gary use it so much like it's a trump card. <laughs> well, it is. Okay. It's not. It's like nobody know death. It's not a trump card. It is. Okay. <sighs> All right. 
So moving on, Marvel has announced that they have cast Ethan Hawke as the main villain in the first season, at least as far as I can tell, the first season of Moon Knight, their TV show that is going to debut on Disney+. Plus. Uh, now, of course, as we're speaking, WandaVision has been out. It's, by the way, we're why we're recording in this kind of weird way we are, because, uh, you know, there's other stuff coming out that we're trying to watch while we're watching a Mandalorian and other things going on. Uh, it was recently announced that Oscar Isaac was in negotiations to play the lead role of Mark Spector in Moon Knight. So Oscar Isaac may be playing Moon Knight, which I think is huge. Oscar Isaac playing Moon Knight could be a huge Okay, thing. who's who's the difference? Who's the photo? Who's the guy in the photo? Well, the guy in the photo, that's Ethan Hawke. That's the guy I know from Magnificent Seven who has, like, the PTSD. Yes. And I don't know who the other guy is, but... He doesn't look bad. I don't know what Moon Knight's supposed to look like, so that might not be helping. You don't know who Oscar Isaac is? No, I do not. You're going to hate yourself when I show you this. Oh, is it somebody I would know? Yes, it is. Oh, my goodness. I'm a dummy. Who is Oscar Isaac? Oh, it's Poe. It's Poe Dameron, yes. Oh, my goodness. Now, why is it significant that he's playing Moon Knight? Well, Moon Knight is actually a character from the Middle East. But, okay, Oscar Isaac is, is Guatemalan, it just said. Yes, he's Guatemalan, but he's got that look. He does have that look. Okay, he's got the right look, I guess is the best way I, I it could... would. I don't know if it would be weird to say if Adam Driver played it, because I feel like Adam Driver looks a little more Middle Eastern. Uh, Maybe, maybe. I, I, I just think, though, Oscar Isaac could pull it off. Moon Knight is supposed to be from Egypt, by the way. That's, that's really where his... I was going to say, it meant much his of his power is imbued from the Egyptian tombs and stuff yeah. like that. Uh, so it'd be so interesting to see who they who they appear. So according to THR, Ethan Hawke will appear in Moon Knight as the main villain. Hawke is best known for his role as Chain Gang, etc. I guess my my biggest question is, who is the main villain? Like they don't even hint at that here, right? Like they don't even talk what about what villains has Moon Knight had over the years, or is it kind of like Marvel uh, Comics as a whole? Anyone can go. Right, that's the thing. Like, right, that could be anybody. That he could be so Bushman? Says, right. Uh, although the outlet does not speculate that it could be Bushman, another mercenary who turns on Mark Spector. Uh, it, it was a mercenary he worked with. Bushman was. Um, I don't know. It, it would be interesting to okay. see who they use as their... I am not well versed in my Moon Knight I'm not comic. overly versed in Moon Knight either. Do you have at least a backstory that would make some sense? to? I, I could give you some information okay. that, that might help you a little bit. I'm Moon sitting Knight's, here going, Moon Knight Moon Knight's not Knight. one of my favorite Marvel characters, and it has nothing to do with him being Middle East or anything else. I just kind of like struggle with Moon Knight because in the Marvel realm, he's one of those guys that, that kind of like Wanda does is like magical. And right? you never liked that. And I... I've never liked the mix of magical and Marvel in the same. You know what I mean? Like I like Marvel's comics when they're covering things, but you know it's kind of weird because I can't say that because my favorite Marvel character is magical because technically the Black Knight's sword is imbued with magic. So I don't know. I don't know how to describe it. I don't know. There are times I feel like certain Marvel characters don't fit in, mm. so they use magic to kind of like force them to fit in. I mean, it's the same thing sense. for DC, but they just use uh, Speed Force. Correct. I mean, DC does different things with their quote-unquote magic, right? They just uh, say, well, Speed Force, lol. Yeah, I don't know. I don't get it. But but anyway, it, it's it's interesting to see that Ethan Hawke's going to play the bad guy. I mean, that's a pretty big name. I know you don't know much about Ethan Hawke, but in, uh, yeah, in I know the a little movie bit industry realm, him. he's a pretty big deal. Oh, yeah. Be he playing, looks like he's been here a while. Mm-hmm. To be playing in a TV series, that's a pretty big deal. 
That's not about to be about his age. It means it looks like he has a good amount of experience. Yes, yes, and he's done a lot of a lot of very familiar movies. Uh, Training Day is probably the one that would put him on the map the most. Well, I don't watch Training Day. Well, you're gonna have to catch up on your movies. Okay, we're working on that. <laughs> okay, so the last one. This one's a spoiler alert. <laughs> Right. If you don't want to know what's going to happen in Falcon and Winter Soldier, I'd say fast forward for the next 10, 15 minutes because we're going to talk about it real quick. So it accidentally came out, and this is from CBR.com. Thanks to some, it looks like some sort of South American toys that got released. Yeah, it's insane. We finally know who gets Cap Shield in the end, at the end of Falcon and Winter Soldier. And who gets Cap Shield? It's Falcon. Falcon. But didn't get handed at the end of Endgame 2? You already got handed at the end well, of the game. Well, that's why I said it shouldn't be a surprise to anyone. That's why I say spoiler alerts, but it's not really a spoiler alert. It shouldn't be. Uh, you know, the fact that Falcon walks away with the shield at the end of Endgame should not be a shock to anybody that the shield ends up in Sam Wilson's hands. So I kind of see this article as like a, uh, yeah, duh. Okay. Like, I mean, Insert yeah. the sound effect. Insert the sound effect. <laughs> so I just, you know, the fact, I think a lot of people wanted to see Bucky carry the shield. And I just don't think you're going to see that at least not at the beginning of the show. Now, does, is it possible Bucky takes on the shield later on? Mm. Yeah, I think it's yeah. possible. I think maybe you kill Sam Wilson and Bucky carries the shield out of respect for Sam. Like, maybe they and work Cap. together. And Cap. So, I don't know. It'll be interesting to and see how that all plays out. And I'm sorry. I'm seeing this happening. I'm going, well, we're going to the Marvel Comics, the Marvel Now Comics line, the most modern Marvel Comics line. I'm kind of sitting there going, and I didn't see this as a surprise. It was bound to happen no, eventually. Yeah. They've been moving steadily towards that. I think the bigger question is, does Sam Wilson get the shield in this first season? Or is it going to be a while before we see a Sam Wilson with wings and a shield? You know, yeah. is it possible that U.S. agent has the shield for like half the series? And then all of a sudden Winter Soldier picks it up. And then it's a while before we actually see Sam Wilson take the shield. I don't know. It'll be interesting to see how that that plays out. I do question, how does U.S. Agent get it before Sam Wilson when Sam Wilson walks away with it at the end of Endgame? Like, I would think it you'd would... have to be tearing it out of the poor guy's arms, right? I, I, mean, I think I know what happens. What do you think? Just throw it out there. In Civil War, Stark says, that's not your shield, it's U.S. property. Federal government comes in, confiscates the shield, said it is federal property, we will hand it off to whom we choose. And technically, Sam Wilson's a military guy. So I would, would have to follow kind of, orders. I would, I would have to say if the military came in and told him he had to give the shield up, I being the military man that he is, I think he'd have a hard time not giving the shield up. I think he'd follow orders. It, I think he'd give the exactly shield up. It's exactly what Rhodey would do, too. Exactly. Rhodey exactly did that kind Rhodey of stuff during do. Civil War yep. where he was like, well, they say we got to sign the document. I'm going to sign the document. Sign the it's, document. It's, I'm, yes, it's a done deal. The Sokovia Accords or whatever. Yeah, I'm well, going to sign it. Yeah. The Sokovia Accords. But that was my point is – U.S. agent is basically, a, you said he's a military man who's handed the shield, and yep. it, it can pass. That's why the title U.S. agent, not necessarily U.S. agent plot versus like Captain America Steve Rogers. Well, here's the last thing I want to cover, and I forgot to pull up a, an article for this. It doesn't matter. Disney is confirmed. Deadpool 3 is happening. Yeah. Deadpool 3 is happening, number one. Number two, it's going to star Ryan Reynolds. Yeah. And from my understanding, he's starting to help write the movie. Cool. And number three, Disney has agreed. Actually, there's four points. Number three, Disney has agreed that it will be a rated R movie. They are not doing a PG-13 Deadpool. It will be rated R. Thank goodness. 
How was I do not want to rein in Ryan Reynolds. I want to keep him going. How was Once Upon a Deadpool received again? Because I not that, well. that was the PG thirteen one. Was it like Rotten Tomatoes like almost one point nine? No, it wasn't bad Rotten Tomatoes and people liked it that went and saw it. And the problem was not a lot of people saw it. When you've seen the rated R version, why would you go see the PG thirteen? That's a problem. Like when you release one, why would you release the other? Nobody's going to go bother to see it. Because as a parent, you can you can watch the rated R one. Whatever. These kids are going to go in there and watch the rated R one anyway. You know that. I know that. Let's not even fool ourselves. Okay. (laughs) Let's stop kidding ourselves. (laughs) The fourth point that I think is really important is Disney has insisted that Deadpool three will be part of the MCU. Do you think he's going to start time belting in? So we he's met. Cable, do you think, because he's got the time belt thing that he got from Cable, that we're going to see him start popping up in random points in the timeline? I, I think this is the wedge in to start working the X-Men and Mutants into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I think you use a combination of things. I think you use Deadpool showing up with Spider-Man, which I think is what they're going to try to do. And, and I think you use the Fantastic Four pulling in Wolverine and maybe another mutant or two slowly into the mcu on the other side and then all that can get combined and there were mutants on the fantastic four team not on the team but they knew members of the fantastic maybe having let's say like having reed richards working on an experiment and uh right see now uh, you're starting to think like a like a marvel guy have hank pym up on the ceiling doing stuff correct in his beast form See, pym pym knew uh, fantastic because they were both doctors and so they did start but uh pym is old Stark is dead, so could you maybe have Scott Lang popping See, in? You're, you're 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 worried about age. I mean, you and could you MCU could have Scott Lang has, and and Pym working MCU together. With... Has never worried about it. When has age ever been an, a factor in the MCU? Actually, when has age ever been a factor in Marvel comics? Has this age ever been a thing? How long did how long was old Logan alive uh, yeah. in the old man Logan thing? Mm, right. I mean, like he okay. lived through World War One, World War Two. Oh well, no, long? no, no! I'm even just saying him as his like. His really oh, old, old self, Logan? old man Logan, <laughs> I think was, what, 100 years or yeah, so? he was forever. And then he got reborn again <laughs> for the fourth time or whatever it was. It was crazy. But, yeah. One, I, the one thing one I'm, thing that Marvel does not have a problem with is time. They can just rewrite time. It's not a big deal. They've got I mean, this guy called Kang. I was going to say that, or they have they the have time a microverse. Stone. They have time stones. They, they throw time out the water like it's going out of style, man. So I'm not... And they also throw the multiverse out there because you know what? Creed, yeah, scroll, why not? Everything else. Yeah. Um... The one thing I kind of want to see happen, and this is more of like a personal like want to see, as an homage to Stan Lee, not necessarily to be a joke, have Deadpool popping up. Okay, well, your mother and I were just talking about that the other day. She's like, what are they going to do? Because we were watching them, one, uh, you know, one of the Marvel movies and Stan Lee popped up. I think it was Spider-Man Far From Home. Whatever. And, and she just kind of looked at me and Marvel she's film. like, what are they going to do now that Stan Lee's dead? And I kind of looked at her and I go, I have my suspicion. She goes, well, what is your suspicion? I said... I, I said, now a lot of not a lot of people know this, and I'll put this one out there, and I don't think you know this one. Deadpool was actually written by Stan Lee to be the snarky Stan Lee in the Marvel Universe. That would make some sense, yes. Because Stan Lee, for people who knew Stan Lee, he was kind of like the snarky person that Deadpool is. Kind of like snarky and would just kind of like, you know, act that same way. And Stan always said if he had power... It would totally go to his head. <laughs> Duh. Like Deadpool, right? There it is again. And so so I could totally see where, where Deadpool is Stan Lee. And I said to my wife, I said, I could totally see 
all of a sudden, Deadpool is Stan Lee. So why not have him pop into a movie and be like, hey, could you guys keep it down out there? I'm trying to die up here or something. You know, like, <laughs> I could totally see Deadpool popping into a movie and making some snarky comment in the weirdest spot ever and then leaving. I mean, and I could totally see that being a thing. A thing we could do, and I know it's maybe not now, but when more time has passed since Stan Lee's death, maybe we can have him appear with a Stanley wig and mustache and just sit there going... Oh, I'm sure they could, yeah. I'm <laughs> He's sure just sitting there going, totally make fun of I'm, I'm, I'm impersonating our, our creator. Yeah. Heaven or, rest his soul. <laughs> or like be like, I'm look, I'm a god, you know, or something like that, you know. <laughs> the other thing I've heard people say that, that could be an interesting way to do it is to have a watcher uh. be around lurking somewhere, right? And that, that Stan is now a watcher since he's dead. That he could be a watcher watching what's going on in his Marvel MCU. And I'm kind of like, yeah, that, I could. I, either one of those homages would work. Although, personally, for me, I'd rather see the Deadpool. I just think yeah. it's cool. I, I would think love be to more see hilarious. Him. I'd love to see Deadpool acting out the part of Stan Lee in these movies. So. Wasn't it Gary who said there was somebody, one of the fan, one of our fellow podcast mates before they disappeared, had said they wanted to have him pop up at the end of Endgame and go, Oh, I missed it. That was me. I that wanted, was you? That was oh, me. I wanted I to have, was Gary. I wanted Deadpool to show up and be like, shit, I well, was looking forward to this. You know, well, like, I'll shoot his ashes. Bang, bang. bang. <laughs> so, all right. So those were our thoughts on those topics. So, again, if you want to talk to us, email us at galaxycast.gmail.com. Again, our topics were the Lord of the Rings TV show, Marvel Knight casting Ethan Hawke as the... Uh, Moon Knight, excuse me, as the bad guy. <laughs> Marvel uh, Knight. Marvel Knight, what, uh, <laughs> Moon Knight. Falcon and Winter's toy, uh, Winter Soldier's toy revealing who got this cap shield. And, of course, we talked a little bit about Stan Lee and our thoughts there. So email us at galaxyguestgmail.com. I'd love to hear what you guys have to say. Just put in the subject line thoughts for the show. And with that, we're going to take a break here in a moment. We're going to come back just after the break and talk more about the Mandalorian. And on your way to the break, please take a moment and enjoy our new segments. We're going to have a comedic parody commercial every single episode that ties in with whatever we're watching. And we're also introducing a new series called The Rest of the Galaxy Cast Story. So enjoy those and we'll take a break and we'll be right back right after this break. Mm, time for a break it is. Return in a moment we will. <laughs> It's Star Wars radio-controlled R2-D2. Two 9-volt and two C alkaline batteries not included. You can make R2-D2 move, beep, and flash his light by wireless radio control. Hey, let me try it. You can make R2 move forward. Look out, Dad! Backward, turn and beep. Hurry, turn, Dad! Radio-controlled R2-D2 from the Star Wars collection by Kenner. Imagine growing up on a planet where there is so much pollution that you can't see the stars. This pilot learned quickly about the horrors of pollution and the devastating impacts it can have on the individual. Yet somehow, this guy is funny and has quite the dry sense of wit that some folks hate and others love. Whether he's using shadow puppets to entertain prisoners where he spent part of a war or watching someone juggling geese as entertainment on a moon he grew up near, no one is quite sure why this particular pilot got involved in a war. And how did he end up being a prisoner of that war? Well, his ship was shot down after a single flight, yet after that war, this pilot earned one of the biggest reputations as an amazing pilot. Matter of fact, the best in the galaxy. That reputation got him the job as the pilot of the ship he's most known for. 
He was a loyal man and would always defend the ships and crews he worked for, especially when it came to recruiting his captain from crime lord Adela Niska. He did make a rather odd relationship with ships. If the ship was going through chaos and strife, or even a battle, he would fly quite calm. When the ship seemed calm and serene, he would fly with a panic-like style. When under pressure, this pilot was often heard saying, quote, I am a leaf on the wind. Watch how I soar. But this is also coming from a man that kept toy dinosaurs in the cockpit and would play with them when he was so bored. But when you have friends named Mr. Universe, especially one that was first in his class in flight school, you're still a pretty cool guy. But you know what makes him cooler? Having a captain named Malcolm Reynolds. And if he never met Reynolds, he would never have met his future wife and the love of his life, Zoe Alain. Of course, the war we are referring to is the Unification War. And many believe he piloted ships for the Browncoats. But he will be best known for working for the crew of his favorite ship and crew. The one that he was willing to take a Reaver Harpoon for. The same ship and crew that replaced him with River Tam. He never had a crew he was more excited to work for than Captain Malcolm Reynolds, Zoe Washburn, Inara Sarah, River Tam, Daryl Book, Kay Winnett Lee Fry, Jane Cobb, or Simon Tam. Of course, this crew all flew in a ship called Serenity, and he was its pilot and gave his life for that ship, and he was Hoban Washburn. And now you know the rest of the Galaxy Cast story. Do you own a business or a podcast? Are you looking for ways to expand the audience you reach? Then Star Productions could help you. Southern Tier Audio Recording Productions started off as a homegrown audio recording company, offering professional recordings for aspiring musicians. It is now a multifunctional business offering DJ services, recording, and advertising services to those who own businesses and podcasts. Email us at galaxycast at gmail.com with the subject advertising if you are interested. We look forward to creating a professional commercial for you that can be used in this podcast or even at your local radio station. Many have exclaimed that our services are out of this world. We need you to go to the Galactic Academy and join the Imperial Navy. That's right, you can be in charge of your own ship. Could be a TIE fighter, TIE defender, TIE bomber, or anything that wears a TIE. If that's not enough, don't worry, we can teach you how to fly a frigate, cruiser, or even a star destroyer. No experience flying ships at all? No worries, we'll teach you how not to fly a ship. Are you worried about flying and trying to hit the target? We've got you covered there as well. You'll be trained by some of our best stormtroopers. Yeah, you're right. And should be able to hit something, even if it's just an asteroid. Still not convinced? How would you like to travel the galaxy and enslave every alien race you encounter? Don't want to enslave alien races? 
Don't worry, just tell us where the alien is and we'll enslave them for you. What's the worst that could happen? It's not like a squad of Mandalorians would board your ship and attack your mostly useless crew. That could never happen. So find your local Galactic Academy and join the Imperial Navy today. No guts, no glory. Welcome back to the Galaxy Cast. What if he doesn't survive? Hey folks, welcome back to this episode of the Galaxy Cast after our break, which by the way, we are now having a new type of break if you haven't figured it out yet. And within those breaks are going to be some new segments. For example, you are going to hear a parody commercial that relates to whatever episode of The Mandalorian or whatever it is we're watching. There will be a new parody commercial related to that as well as a new segment that we're going to start throwing into our breaks called That's the Rest of the Galaxy Cast Story. Now, if you have ever were a fan of radio back in, oh my goodness, all the way back in the 1970s and 1980s, there was a guy named Paul Harvey, and he did a segment called The Rest of the Story. And yes, that was inspired by that. By the way, that's the reason I got into podcasting was a guy named Paul Harvey. My dad used and I used to listen to Paul Harvey uh, in my dad's car delivering penny savers. Yes, that was something I did as a child. Yeah, you told uh, me about that. Yeah, that's how I actually paid for me getting to the Boy Scout National Jamboree oh. uh, when I was younger. And it's also how I paid for my trumpet and other various sundries of things when I was younger. So, yes, I had a paper route, as it were. It wasn't really a paper route. It was a penny saver route. And my dad would drive me around and we'd drop penny savers off. It was kind of an oddly but satisfying job. And we listened to all sorts of people. Paul, Paul Harvey just happened to be one of them. Okay, so we're back to talk about season through season two, episode eleven of the Mandalorian, titled "The Heiress," and this is actually the third episode of the second season, technically. So yeah. this 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 is this episode, I think, made a whole bunch of people squee in all sorts of different ways and, and in all sorts of different circles. It also caused some fan raging. Or non-fan raging, I don't know. Uh, well, it did, I don't know if it caused fan raging. All I know is that the, the people who are about there saying, the boob armor's a, it's, it's a gender biasing or what. I'm like, uh, look at can, the Clone Wars oh, series. She about. had boob armor Wait, in the okay. Clone Wars we, we series. Can, we could talk about that at the end. All right. <laughs> Sorry. So let's do, let's do the plot. And I've decided uh, Wikipedia, believe it or not, has some pretty good written plots out for the Mandalorian episodes. So I'm going to read their plot and we can, we can comment as we go. So, the Razor Crest severely damaged. Crash lands on the moon of Trask. Of course, I kind of like how they put that. Crash lands. Crash lands is like... It pretty much slammed into the planet minus five feet of it not slamming into the planet. Well, it was... It's uh, the best way I can think of it is Looney Tunes back in action. Up out of gas and they're hanging three feet in the air. Yeah, all I could ever <laughs> think of was... Well, I was thinking about the... I don't know if you remember the Bugs Bunny commercial or the Bugs Bunny cartoon where he's flying... And he's falling down in the plane, and he, he grabs the one button, and it says air brake. And he pulls it up, and the airplane's that. hanging out in the air, and he's like, air brakes? You gotta have them, right? Uh, I was, that's how I could think of, too. It's just like, out of yeah. nowhere, the, the engines happen to fire at just the right time. And he's, like, hovering right above the pad. He's like, there it is. Perfect. The engine blows. Unbelievable. <laughs> into the water. And then it falls into the water. Now, if you never caught there, and... and we caught it both times, but I still think it's cool. They they have a repurposed, repurposed ATAT 
that has a different type of head that's got a crane on it. I just thought that was cool. It, it looks like it looks like a crane of modern day because it even has like the really crossbarred yep. uh, top. Yeah, yeah. It's very interesting. I'm like, well, well, it's a reinforced you, crane. If you can't use the ATAT as a walker, take the top off, turn it into something. Well, it still is a walker. It's just it's a walker, just, for, it's a a walker for a different purpose. Yes, so it's walking the right way. <laughs> <laughs> So wow. the frog lady is reunited with her husband. So she walks around going, eh, eh, and he goes, eh, eh, and they define each other, <laughs> who directs the Mandalorian to an inn where he learns three Mandalorians have been seen, and the captain of a trawler of corn offers passage to find the Mandalorians. So a corn comes over, basically says, hey, you look familiar. I could help you find the other people that look like you. Which is exactly what the Mandalorian was looking for anyway, right? I mean, that's exactly what he wanted. Although, that scene kind of got funny because... Go ahead. He's kind of chuckling as he's talking about this, which is kind of, for me, was like, something ain't right. <laughs> well, he did seem a little... He's like uh, very... He, the Mando, at this point, is kind of gullible to the people. Like, I know where Mandalorians are. Really? <laughs> I, I don't think he was gullible, per se. Okay? I think what he was trying to do was trying to blend in a little bit, but at the same time figure out... You know, like, who can he trust? Who can he trust? I don't think the Mandalorian necessarily trusted this guy, but just kind of figured, well, I'm going to go with him for right now because what other option does he have? Mm. And he's trying to find these other Mandalorians, so how else is he going to do that unless he kind of, you know, tricks them into coming out into the open? So he knew that if Mandalorians didn't want to be found, they weren't going to be found, so this Quarren really is the only guy he was going to be able to trust at this point. What I, I found this scene, what I was trying to drive at about this scene was the the child at this point, because we don't know his name, <laughs> trying to eat whatever food yeah. he was eating. And, and the freaking thing hops out of course, in his it face. jumps out and it jumps on his face. And all I could think, I, I wanted to like shout out, like, don't let it shove a repositor down your throat. <laughs> like, I, you know, lay eggs in your stomach. We don't want that. We don't uh, need an aliens moment. <laughs> although I kind of thought that would have been a kind of a funny moment, right? Like if the thing like somehow laid eggs in, in the child's stomach and yeah. The child's carrying a child? Right. Why not? Uh, no, thank sure. you. <laughs> and then later on he like throws up and a little yeah. one comes out or something, you know, it'd be kind of funny. I'll get out, you know. <laughs> or he's like forced. You have a sick mind. Or he's forced playing with the little one, you know, like, Ooh. Okay. You pointed out, I didn't catch it the first time we watched it, that I thought he just like pulled it off his face. But he actually pulled out the vibro knife out of his boot, barely turned it on, and, and just, just like, like tapped, tapped it, and it killed and he died. it. Like and he went back into the bowl. You see, gro- uh, you see the last go. Where'd it go? Yeah, don't use his name yet because technically right, we don't know it. Force of we, habit. Although we do, and pretty much all of America does at this point. But force of habit. Yeah, I know. I get it. So it's better than calling it the other people. So the child had a moment where I think he saw his life flash before his eyes because his food almost ate him. <laughs> Which all I can think of was like, you know, that's got to be like eating Vietnamese food, right? Like when it just fights back. Or all I can think of was that, that commercial about roll age, you know, when your food fights back. <laughs> you know, like that's that's all I can think of. I was of. just like, waiting. I, I The first time we watched it, I was waiting for like an eyeball to float to the surface. I, yeah, I was kind of <laughs> was waiting for that too. You know, for him to go, eh, you know, like... <laughs> So they take this ship, which we, you pointed out looks like a it, hammerhead. It looks right? like a hammerhead in the water because if you look at the bow of the ship, mm-hmm. you can almost see the upper two thirds of the hammerhead, and you see something hanging down in the water. I can't tell if it's a reflection which, engine or if it's. You might be right there. It might be like part of a hammerhead. There. Like the end of the boat was the like a third of the hammerhead that got blown up in the planet and it landed in the water. They salvaged it and turned it into something, which All is I know kind is of nice. Whole planet looks like. You know, everything's salvaged. So apparently Trask is actually the place that you take all your garbage 
and well, you they, let it get salvaged. They kind of mention it's a salvage yard, and, and yeah. towards the like, middle to end of the episode, why oh, the yeah. Imperials are there. And yeah. So out at sea, the captain shows them a mammacore that they are transporting. Of course, apparently we discover a mammacore is a rather large sea creature. And it's, then he suddenly throws the child's carrier into the beast. Now, I, I did kind of wonder... Okay, it's a mammacore, I get it. It's probably hungry. Throw the child in, try to get the Mandalorian to lure himself in there. You know, all that good stuff. But that cannot be good for the mammacore, right? Like, having a... A, a, a metal pod. Metal pod <laughs> in your stomach? I, I, Why would you do that? If you cared at all about the mammacore, maybe he doesn't care about the mammacore, but I don't know. I kind of felt like maybe the mammacore was a little pet of theirs, and why would you throw a pod in there when it could I think damage were, the mammacore? They were more worried. They were more focused on trying to get the Beskar off uh, the yeah, Mando. Yeah, that's true. That's probably what their else. total focus was at that point. Yes. But because the child goes in, the Mandalorian dies in after and is trapped in the hold. Yeah, they just close the gate on they him. They close the gate on him and basically tell him, you know what? Uh, why don't you hand up the armor and we'll let you out? And he's like, nope. No, uh, they just start jabbing at him. So then the captain promises to kill him for his armor. Mandalorians come to the rescue, killing the entire crew. And that's when we find the thing that made everybody go, squee. Bo-Katan Kreese and her teammates, Koska Reeves and Axe Wolves, break taboo by taking off their helmets, which... Really? Is it taboo? I mean, like, we've had this discussion before. I was going to say. We, but I want to have the discussion again. So go ahead. We actually find out there's a distinct... There's two cultures to the Mandalorians. One that is the Mandalorians, and then the ones that are following the Purge are called the Watched. The Watched kind of follow a cultist ideal. They don't take off their helmets. They consider the way of the Mandalore that. They don't even think well, Mandalore is worth as a planet to be reclaimed that they should just claim another planet See, and move I, I, on. I think this is more like not even necessarily that. I think it's like traditionalists versus the non-traditionalists. So well, I think traditionalist Mandos believe you don't take your helmet off. You know, the, all those things that Mandalore, the Mandalorian himself believes that the Mandalore is basically not a planet, but an ideal. A people. Right, a people. Almost out of Thor Ragnarok. <laughs> and I believe the other group, and I guess you could call them the liberals of the Mandalorians, believe that, you know what, we're people like everybody else. You can take your helmet off. You can live your life. You know, things can go on. But we believe in the ideals of Mandalore, the planet itself, and, and believe in the ideology of Mandalore. Bo-Katan calls them a group of cultists. Right, she, she does. She, she calls but them that. from their and, point of view... And okay. this is where you have your, your Obi-Wan quote that, that you always throw say, out. Because everything comes from a certain mm. point of view, right? Like, So from their point of view, they seem like cultists and extremists. Whereas I think from the Mandalorian's point of view, the Mandos that take their helmets off and, and reveal themselves and... and, and reacting the way they are he sees them as cultists and and think about it because to an extent he could see that because what are they after this whole episode well what's bo katan really after the dark saber the dark saber which think about that right okay that's a little extreme for mm. somebody who's like so what to him a dark saber doesn't mean anything does it no he doesn't but care about he also saber. thinks that in, and this is something i think out of his particular group of people when they talk about reclaiming mandalore he says that planet is cursed to go back is just as futile as to claim for anything. It's better just to move on. So again, on. he's a traditionalist. He believes. Well, wasn't the fundamentals of the of the Mandalorian Beskar is because they went to Mandalore, they killed these the Mythosaurs, and they also found the ore in deep within the mountains of Mandalore, and that's, that's why they consider Mandalore the, so. That's the fable behind Mandalore. I guess you could call it a myth, 
right? And, and so that's where part of me says, well, maybe that is, but maybe it isn't. We don't know, right? Like, we mm-hmm. don't know the true history of Mandalorians based on any sort of any information. Even Karen Travis has never provided true historical information. And, and we only get the myth of what the history of the behind the Mandalorian yeah, and is. and much of the stuff is now considered in Legends. Thank you, Disney. Well, yeah, and it all depends on what... Disney keeps trotting out because if you notice, they keep pulling things out of Legends yeah, they and back Thrawn into the mainstream. Right. So, you know, who knows what they're going to pull out. Yeah. So oh, the Mandalorian distrusts them, but he explained, but she explains her Mandalorian heritage and that he is a child of the Watch, a group consisting of zealots who follow the ancient way of the Mandalorian, which mainstream Mandalorian society does not. The Mandalorian leaves, stubbornly refusing Bo-Katan's help. And so, I, you know, I think it's kind of interesting that we get introduced to this group, this Child of the Watch, and I'm hoping that maybe later on in the series they're going to give more information about these quote-unquote zealots. I don't think they're as zealotists as Bo-Katan's making no, out I don't, to be. I don't think they are, but I think they are more, as you said, they're traditionalists. But mainstream Mandalorians don't, you know, they don't believe in the zealots. It would explain, too, why when we watch The Clone Wars there seemed to be... Uh, a lot of splintering within the Mandalorian society. So if you've got yeah. this Child of the Watch, then you've got Death Watch, right? Then yeah. you've got the pacifist Mandalorians. So the Mandalorians themselves seem to really yeah. kind of be split up in their belief system. Uh, and I think that's important to take into account because I think it really explains why no one's gone back to Mandalore and united the Mandalorians because when they're all they're at all each other's throats up. like this and they're... Feel, you know, thinking and feeling different things, it's really hard to unite people like that. I was going to say, think to Rebels. Rebels, you had uh, Mandalorians that served the Empire, the Super Commando uh, right. Mandalorians, and then you have the traditional Mandalorians broken up in different clans, and the clans are all fighting with each other just to Correct. keep small sense so that's, of that's land. The one thing that always kind of helped held Mandalore down and Mandalorians down is they actually infighted amongst themselves about who was supposed to be in charge a lot more than people wanted them to, to fight. Uh, you know, I kind of, you know, if you, it's, it's why the throw Darth that into modern was... politics that kind of takes a new meaning, doesn't it? Yes, it does. I was yes. going to say it sounds a bit like uh, Scottish history around Braveheart. I know that's, Oh, neat. I'm saying American history around 2020. <laughs> that's what I know, I'm but saying. I'm going to go a little bit more less close. Yes. <laughs> Cause Too I really... close to home. Is that what you're trying to say? No, I don't want to talk about politics on the podcast. I agree. Okay. So the Mandalorian is attacked by the brother of the dead trawler captain. Imagine that, right? Like he gets attacked <laughs> by the trawler. What did Mandalore think was going, the Mandalorian think was going to happen? Did he think the guy was just going to go away? I mean, like, well, no. I, when he first walks up, he says, Hey, you killed my brother. I'm just thinking, my name is Amigo Montoya. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> you I was thinking my the same thing. You know, like I was waiting for a sword to come out and be like, prepare to die. You know? Um, and then so. he keeps kicking him down. You killed my I th- brother. I think, I think everybody <laughs> felt that way about that scene. So again, Bo-Katan comes to his aid. She later explains that Imperial Remnants still plunder Mandalore and her team is raiding cargo ships to steal weapons. So basically, she wants to go back to Mandalore. And, I, and from my understanding of what's going on here... She wants to free Mandalore. That's her ultimate goal. So even though she's after the Darksaber, she's not really necessarily after the Darksaber itself in that she's more after the ideal of the Darksaber, the idea that the person that brings the Darksaber back to Mandalore will bring all of the clans back together and unite them under one flag and one banner and therefore will be 
the Mandalore. Whether it's her or somebody else. She, she, I she don't think wants, she really cares at this point. I think she just she doesn't say to see where it's. She says united. it belongs to her. Right. But when she first talks to him about it, she wants to take back Mandalore, which right. both of those things kind of contradict each other. Because, yeah, you could take the Darksaber up and free Mandalore, but then you're a target for every Mandalorian it, that wants the throne. It is true, yes. So she promises the information he needs in return for his help in their next raid. Bo-Katan also seeks a Mandalorian relic, which had been stolen from her, the Darksaber, which we just talked about. And the child stays with the frog lady. I just thought that was just so, like, well, <laughs> there he stays with the frog lady. Well, okay, let's talk about what's really going on with the frog lady there. First off, she's now trying to impregnate the eggs that, you know, the child's trying to eat. We still see that one of them, she actually watches one of them birth out as a little tadpole. Right, right. So He's like, that's cool. So, yeah, <laughs> the, the, the child definitely got a lesson. And, you know, I don't know how frogs are born, I guess, is the best way to put it. And... I think more the meaning of life. Sure. <laughs> sure. We'll get totally philosophical about it because the meaning of life is how an egg becomes a tadpole. <laughs> okay. Hey, some people have the birds and the bees. They, we, have we have the frogs and the tadpoles. And <laughs> Maybe I've been teaching it wrong all these years. <laughs> yeah, so moving on. The team makes short work of the stormtroopers on board the freighter. Okay, so let's talk about the entrance onto the freighter. First off, how does a group of Mandos land on a freighter and Imperials do not know? And what I'm talking about is, why is there not some sort of camera system on this ship? You know, on the outside, I don't know, by all the doors, so that when people land on the ship, I don't know, using jetpacks, you can look at the camera and go, huh, those guys shouldn't be on the ship. You know, modern technology and all. Where's the ring? I mean, seriously. There's somebody should right. Somebody should have to push the ring to get in the door. What well, the heck? You do see that the stormtrooper closest to the door sets off the audio alarm. He well, alerts the captain of the ship, and they send more troops that's in. That's great. A stormtrooper who can't the broadside of a bantha can push I a love button that line. and I tell love everybody that line. else. But at the same time, there's not even a ring doorbell on this freaking thing to see people coming. I mean, like no motion sensors, nothing. Nobody even knows that people landed on the ship at Hang all. On. Hang on. I mean, on. no one's got a jetpack ever anywhere. Hang on. They had said that they were they were hit. Uh, they said that they were hitting these ships quite frequently, so they have life form life form scanners. So they scan for the pl- uh, the life forms that are on the ship and know which ones they are. So once they're inside the ship, up oh, we know there's four of them. That's it. Yep. <laughs> but that's all they need to know apparently because they don't have and the ring doorbell app. You have to think about it in the Death Star and in several Star Destroyers. There's cameras everywhere. But not, not on, on this, this cruiser. Ship, not right? on this cruiser. <laughs> no one knows what's going on in this ship. So anyway, Bo-Katan alters the mission, deciding to take the whole ship. Which, you know, I was waiting for the, you know, I, you know, I I did alter the mission. Pray I don't alter it any further. I think everybody was dying for You were waiting for, for the moment. Vader line? <laughs> I really was. I really was. You know, uh, just to kind of be like, you know, I could be a jerk and pray that I don't alter it any further or something like that. <laughs> I could be a jerk and just put you under my uh, foot and make you so, stay. <laughs> so anyway, the Mandalorian is reluctant. Bo-Katan mocks him saying, this is the way. Which I thought was kind of funny. I did like I that. I thought it little, was a bit funny, but little... I also thought it was a little, like, sassy, for the best word I have Yes, for it. it was sassy. Now, I do want to say this. For not having ever played this role in live action, I thought Katie Sackhoff did an excellent job taking a character that she simply voiced on the Clone Wars 
and giving it real life. I, I, there oh, I didn't several... know she voiced her. Yes, oh. she voiced her in the Clone oh. Wars, and that's why when it came up that, that this oh. character was, you know, going to be done in The Mandalorian, like, Katie Sackhoff's like, I'm doing it. Like, she was like, I'm all over this. <sighs> and I got concerned because Katie Sackhoff, now, Katie Sackhoff was in Battlestar Galactica, for the people that don't know. She played, you know, she, she's done some good stuff out there. She's done a lot of stuff. I was worried she wouldn't be able to pull off Bo-Katan because she doesn't look like Bo-Katan. Now that they put the wig on her and the right, what do you call the headpiece? I don't even know what it's called. I don't even know what it's called either. All I know is it has lights on it. It's actually lit up, which is good. I was concerned giving her a a red wig would make her look weird, and quite honestly, it worked. Whatever they did Did made it work. Did they dye her eyebrows? I'm sure they did. I couldn't remember. Yeah, they they were red. Here we are nitpicking this. This is how much we're... Oh, no, no. I I was paying attention, and they did dye them a little bit, because Katie Sackoff has, like, blonde hair about by the way. Oh. So, yeah, they had oh. to have dyed them to, yeah, to that's, match that's the a, wig. That's so, a bit of I a... mean, kudos. I, I I liked what they did. I thought she did a great job playing Bo-Katan considering all she ever did was voice the character before. Now I felt like she brought it to life. And I, I kind of like the facial features. If you noticed in the yeah. Clone Wars, she was very... Well, the Clone Wars, when they drew her, they drew her to kind of look like Katie a little bit. Agreed. So... But when you look at the way she would emote during the Clone Wars with her bucket off, she was very... St- Stern and almost poker faces like the yeah. entire episode. But I kind of felt like she did that here. She Katie did that Sack here and did. it was good. That's what I'm saying and is I, that the I, consistency of making sure it was. And part of me is like if they're going to continue forward both Bo-Katan, then I sure hope they keep Katie Sackoff around because I think she makes a great Bo-Katan. I don't think you could ever use anybody else's Bo-Katan. From this <sighs> point forward, I don't think you can. Yeah, you can't, but I'm... I, um... But, and sa- I think I'll, she solidified herself in that role. I'll save my notes for the next episode because it's about Ahsoka. So that's a different. We can talk. That's about That's a that whole other ball of wax. I'll keep it for the next. So episode. the captain alerts Moff Gideon, but it's too late for help. I don't really understand how it's too late for help. There's not even a Tie Fighter around. I mean, seriously. Anyway, Gideon I'm tells the captain it. to sacrifice the ship to kill them all. Now he doesn't actually. Tell him says, flat long out. live the Empire. Right, I long live the Empire. All of a sudden, the captain pulls out his gun, shoots the two pilots, which I'm sitting here thinking, why did he need to shoot the two pilots? Like, Can couldn't he- they have helped him kill the ship? I mean, like, seriously, you didn't need to kill the guys, did you? I mean, that... Seems well, a these guys. Extreme. If you looked at their faces when he said that, it's obviously they knew what they what needed to happen. Right. So, and I think they would have fought back because they would like to live. <laughs> I think that was what nah, his concern nah, was. I think if you're a well-trained imperial, you're gonna die for your cause. At least that's the way it should be, because you know that is the way. Uh, <laughs> that's lame. Not, not to throw that back at them, but you know you would think <laughs> they would want to die for the empire, but apparently no, they don't, because only the imperial officers who are at the top echelon get to die. Everybody else gets shot first instead. Uh, it's kind of like, you know, hey, wh- where did you trap them? Uh, you know, the cargo hold <laughs> control bo- center. Where? The cargo hold controller! <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> they're controlling us! You know, like... <laughs> and then you have the okay. one pilot who's an idiot. Please respond. Right, like... Shh. Yeah. Why have you seized transmission? <laughs> yeah, and you and I both kind of looked at each other and went, Duh! <laughs> <laughs> Like, you didn't the hear other, the echo? <laughs> I was waiting for him to be like, yes, sir, and like turn to the camera and have be all cross-eyed and be like, yes, sir, I'm working on it, sir. And he'd be like, "What, you know, <laughs> Private, what's your name? I am an idiot, sir. I knew it. I'm surrounded by idiots, you know? It just, you well, know what's the line of the space balls? Yeah, a-hole. I'm surrounded by it. I'm trying to keep it G here. So anyway, 
<laughs> so the Mandalorian makes a dangerous charge at a group of stormtroopers. Is it ever really dangerous to charge at stormtroopers? I mean, I really don't see that. Well, he, one, for the first time had, ever, I saw a stormtrooper hit something. They had heavy repeated blasters. They were just doing what you would do, like Terminator style. <laughs> the fan spray. Which spray. just proves if you do have enough bullets, eventually you do hit something. <laughs> I mean, that, that's all I I'm mean, saying. I mean, broken clocks right twice a day. Sure. So <laughs> that's allowing Bo-Katan to take control of the ship. Basically, he, he gets shot at immensely. He gets knocked to the ground. He's carrying two timed... Uh, explosives, and he drops them just enough to destroy the. I think they were magno explosives because he held them, and they were still not counting down. Yeah, and then he throws them, and then they then explode. They explode. You know what I thought it was interesting though is again, and I go back to like I get it. It's not. It's not Beskar. I understand, but aren't the stormtroopers wearing armor? What's the point of a stormtrooper's armor if it's just plastic Play-Doh? It's not really doing anything. Then why are we taking the time to make... Why not let the stormtroopers run around naked? They might actually hit things, because they'll be able to see it better. (laughs) I'm serious. Have them running running around in their, like, Imperial pilots' uniforms. Sure. Why not? (laughs) Why not? Because the Imperial pilots seem to hit things better than they do. (laughs) Boy. I don't know if this is, like, canon because of Rex, or if it's just because they want to make it this way. I would wonder if it's the helmets that are causing them not to hit things versus... I've been arguing that for years. <laughs> like, they've got bad helmets that have bad eyesight. Because if Amanda's wearing a helmet, they have more vision. And you've explained when you put your tie pilot on yep, that I you have, like, like forward vision. You have yep. you have two inches forward, up, I down, can't even left, see, and right. Yeah, I can't even see down because of the stupid... And you got to remember, hoses. basically, that thing is a... It is a Stormtrooper helmet that's modified. Yeah. So if I'm having that bad of a vision in a TIE pilot helmet, there is no doubt that a Stormtrooper's having that problem, too. You know, why not give them the T-Visor? Maybe but, there is something to the T-Visor. Agreed. So um, why don't Mandos have hydro, like like a hydro pump for either space travel or even underwater stuff? Uh, well, there is pilot Mandos now. There are, have, pa- yes. Kind of like the, the Concord done. Um, yes, kind of like that, yep. Okay. But the like going underwater. Do Mandos not flight underwater or something? Nah, they don't like water. They, <laughs> they can't swim. That's their problem. So God. they're Sonic. I'm getting so much hate mail right now. I can see it. So they're Sonic. Stop from the talking games. about Mandos. You're going to get ousted from the Mandalorian merch. So going on, she forces the captain to tell her the location of the dark saber, but he fears Gideon more than her, and he commits suicide. Now I mean, he really Hail Hydra. He doesn't really tell her where the location of the dark saber is. He just simply says, "If you're asking, then you know," <laughs> which we all know means Gideon's got it. Dewey. Well, you saw at the end of last season, and then, like too. you said, we had the Hail Hydra moment where he just kind of clenches down on a tooth and he dies. Cut off one head, two short eyes. Uh, Hail the Empire. <laughs> well, and, and part of me is like, well. You know, all right. I'm assuming it's some sort of cap they've got on a tooth that's you know got some sort yeah. of poison or electronics in it or something. I don't know. It, it looked, looked like, like a like static shock. Right? Like it looked like he so what basically happens if himself. you grind your teeth in the empire? Oh no! <laughs> I you think know. it might be an imperial regulation. I'm getting nervous. <laughs> <laughs> might be. I imperial. don't think our chances are good. <laughs> I mean, like, what are our odds? Two thousand three hundred twenty-two. <laughs> like, you know, like, you better not get nervous if you're in the Empire. Because if you grind your teeth at all, you are screwed. No, it's like imper- it's like uh, putting elbows on the table. It's a, it's against Imperial codes. <laughs> uh, sir, I'm doing okay. <laughs> so, Bo-Katan thanks the Mandalorian and invites him to join them in future missions, saying his bravery will be remembered. By who? Her? Apparently. He must continue his own quest. 
the quest for oh the youngling. While stating that the offer still stands, Bo-Katan directs him to the city of Caladan on the forest planet of Corvus, where he will find a Jedi called Ahsoka Tano, and she basically says, tell him that, you know... Uh, I sent you. Bo-Katan Kreese sent you. And, uh, Which you sounds know, like a radio ad, I'm sorry. By the way, the most... Within, like, one day, within that 24-hour period of The Mandalorian come out, the most searched <laughs> phrase in Star Wars that whole weekend... Was Caladan Corvus? <laughs> Caladan Corvus. Because everybody wanted to know where the hell Caladan was, and what is Corvus, and where is this place? So, <laughs> I was gonna say we're at least doing like we're doing better so, than we did in Rebels, where we're always going back to Lothal. <laughs> agreed, but here was the thing: they picked a planet that nobody had ever heard of yet again, on a place that nobody had ever heard of, in a city that's nobody ever heard of, and oh by the way, as far as I can tell, nobody's ever written about. So I mean that, that whole thing, I was kind of like, really, we couldn't pick something a little cooler, you know? Like, well, I, I don't know. It actually might have been nice on. if they had chosen the Jedi Temple on a Lothal. Lothal. Lothal's Jedi Temple was taken over by the Empire and destroyed. I get that, but you get what I'm saying, right? Like something like that, some place where we could go. Oh, I know where that is. Yeah, we didn't get that, and I was just. A little I kind of like the fact we're not covering over similar planets. I, that we're not know. going back to Coruscant, that we're not going to Tatooine, that we're not going to... Other, well, we're going to Tatooine. We're not going to Kashyyyk. We're not going to other planets that have been known. Yeah, we're going to Tatooine, but that's a bit symbolic to the tie-ins to the episode four and the start of the trilogy. I kind of feel like that's fair. Correct. All right, so that's that's kind of the plot and some of the things that we noticed throughout the episode. And I mean, we so, missed one thing, but that was because it was a funny moment. He lands the... Sh they get the ship out, and he's like, can you fix it? Well, I can make it fly. And he hands him a thousand oh, credits, yeah. says, do what you can. I'll give it some fuel. If you're going to hold fuel. It. Yeah. <laughs> He's turning around looking at the I did want to talk ship. about it a little bit briefly before we move on and, and, and rate this episode about it, the taking off of the ship at the end. You know, the fact that yet again, you know, poor uh, little <laughs> child gets attacked by some sea creature on their way out. It looked like a <laughs> crab had morphed with a... A fly's head. I was about to say, it looked like a crab made love with a spider and created a crabby spider. And uh, <laughs> That just yeah. sounds wrong. <laughs> right? But what I thought was more interesting is the fact that the Mando grabs it, like, and two minutes later, not even, it was 30 seconds later, he's and the little guy's eating the freaking tentacles off the thing. And I'm like, is there anything this creature will not eat? Again, like, the Jedi are trained to eat and consume on the living force. <laughs> all I can say is there's two things he's got to be careful of. First off, stop feeding the thing after midnight. And for crying out loud, would you stop getting it wet? Because we can't have that because then there's little gremlins all over the place what's, and they're eating everything and it's absolutely bad. What's the other rule? Can't you feed them after midnight? Can't get it wet. Don't get it wet. I don't remember what the third one is. <laughs> if you'd like to write in and tell us why we're wrong, well, I'm go sure ahead. Somebody will correct me. <laughs> Meanwhile, Hondo. in the background, uh, you know, the little guy's walking around and hearing. That's his theme song. You don't recognize that, do you? No. Because you haven't watched Gremlins ever, have you? I actually have. I just okay. didn't remember the, the Gremlins. Gremlins theme song. I didn't remember the Gremlins theme song. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I still, my favorite scene in Gremlins is the bar scene. Do you know what I'm talking about? Uh, Where the one Gremlins hanging on by the yes. propeller and flying around, and the other one walks around and goes, Bleh, like he's flashing her, and... Yeah, that's wasn't one of there, my favorite Wasn't there a, a few of them that are playing poker, too? They're playing too. poker, yeah. <laughs> one of them shoots the other one because he didn't like his hand. 
Yeah. So that turned into like a, the Wild that West the, bars. That was like the first time you actually get to see that the Gremlins have some personality, and there's a little bit of humor behind all the horror in that movie because there's actually humor is, in that yeah, scene. It is if very you pay dark. attention to it, it. There's some serious humor in there, especially if you pay attention to the, the Gremlins in the background. Uh, the guy who wrote that movie had kind of a sick, twisted sense of humor, but I, the weird thing I think it's my sick, twisted sense of humor. Uh, I think Gary would agree with me on that one for sure. Uh, you have six. To- you have sick, twisted sense of humor. Trust me, I know. No, what I mean is Gary and I both do. Oh, you both do. I know. Okay, so <laughs> those are that was pretty much the whole episode there. So I, I think that was a pretty good synopsis. That's why we're going to start using. Yeah. Those. Any thoughts on this episode before we start rating? No, it was, it was okay. So let's rate. You want me to go first? You go ahead first. Okay. You go ahead. So on this episode, I would actually give this episode a nine out of ten. I thought it was critical to the storyline. Matter of fact, it gets more critical as time goes on. And the more I've watched The Mandalorian, the more I've realized this episode's actually got a pretty important role. I really kind of liked all the things, including the Razor Crest getting its own rear end handed to itself. I thought it was kind of funny. It actually almost became a fourth character in this this show uh, in, in a long Isn't run. Isn't that always the ships in, Man- in uh, Star Wars? Yeah, I think always the good ships, the, they good become a character, get, like, like, the, a like character. the Millennium Falcon and stuff like that. Yeah. Good ships be. And this is the first time I can say that you could actually start to see some character coming out of the Razor's Crest, as it were. I, I thought the child was played off quite a bit in this episode, and i got to be honest with you, I kind of liked that. You didn't because, like again, that we the kept drawing is, to the cute? Yeah, the, the title of the show is The Mandalorian, not The Cute Little Child. Sorry, it's the truth. <laughs> That'd be a bit uh, of a long title. Which we're, 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 we're about to see the, you know, we're going to talk later about the child and with the role that he plays and, well, maybe won't play in the future of this show. So that part I actually kind of enjoyed. I enjoyed that we had a Mandalorian Ithic episode. I enjoyed the fact that we attacked an Imperial Cruiser, even if the whole thing was semi-ridiculous to an extent. Uh, but it also just shows the ridiculousness of the Empire and the stupid things that they do. And I don't know. I just I liked the whole episode. I really liked Katie Sackoff in her role. I really liked the other two Mandos in their role. I thought they did a great job. I thought the Mandalorian did a great job. Um, everything was kind of cool, actually. So it was one of the better episodes that I think the Mandalorians put on, to be honest with you. So what would you rate it? I'm probably gonna give it a nine, and I'm gonna go back to one of Gary, uh, one of Eric's main co- uh, complaints about. Rebels is the blocking. I don't think there was really a bad blocking in the scene. Nope. They kept going for cover. They kept doing what was bright because they're dealing with blasters. So there was actually good some good blocking. There wasn't any issues I saw with like them standing out in the open unless it was that they're wearing Beskar. And that's that's my only like weird thing about Beskar is they can literally turn into Terminators and just walk through bullets. Well, remember, the only person wearing true Beskar there... Is him. Is him. Because the others, I'm not sure, really had true Beskar. Well, I'm hearing the sounds coming off of them like it's true Beskar. Like it's Maybe. just painted. Maybe. It's a possibility. I'm I mean, not quite sure. they're Mandalorians from even before the Clone Wars, so... Right, and I think in the Clone Wars show, they showed them making Beskar. I'm just not sure that... Yeah, because they were doing it in the, in the episode they were doing where... the episode where they were stealing it. I'm just not sure that Katie Sackhoff's character had that Beskar. I'm not quite sure. Uh, I I'd think, have to go back and I, watch that I think again. it's the same Beskar as she was wearing during Rebels, which is even the same thing, because she got yeah. attacked by the one weapon that can attack Beskar, and then it oh, was yeah, for... Yeah. So true. she's wearing Beskar. So they're she's all wearing Beskar never... because they're walking out the elevator and just walking Yeah, but straight. they don't wear, like, the Mandalorian, so, you know, he just wears it better. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm, it's not anything about it. It's just Beskar kind of feels like the ultimate trump card. No, I get it. Yeah. You can walk through bullets. You can dodge yep. lightsabers. There is nothing that can harm you in the world unless they hit you where there's not armor. Which I keep saying. Yes. 
So I'm just best cars awesome as long as they don't aim for not the best car. I was gonna say <laughs> the only thing I could think of is, is if you stand there and go, I shall defend against the Star Destroyer, and the Star Destroyer shoots you and you blow up and there's your best. I would car. like to point out if they aim for the neck, you're screwed. <laughs> yeah, actually. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So basically, a sword could kill a Mandalorian. Not a blaster, not a rocket, but a sword. Just point it Talk out. about dying on the sword. Right? Die by, <laughs> die by the sword. Get killed by the pen. So I, I want to point out one other thing, too, that you pointed out that Eric Eric always points out. Great yep. points, right? Uh, one of the things Eric always pointed out was, does it feel like Star Wars? And did this whole episode this feel like did. Star Wars? The, yes. the ship had the exact kind of modeling, yep. very similar to the Death Star. It always. felt very imperially. And then uh, I kind of like the bits of humor with the, <laughs> we've trapped them. Trapped them where? In the uh, Hatch Control Center. That, that, to me, fit like the kind of humor that you would have had in A New Hope, right? Like, it's yeah. that kind of humor. It fit in. It kind of, uh, it, it felt now, a little. I will say this. I think there's something to be said. There was Bryce Dallas Howard that directed this particular episode. And yep. I'm saying that because it was well-directed, felt like it was in the Star Wars universe. And I say that because her daddy, Ron Howard, okay, directed the Han Solo movie, which, by the way, of, of all the latest Star Wars movies... And, and, and it's, I think it's the most underrated movie. I think it's the one that feels the most Star Wars-y, which yep. is really weird because it got backlash because of The Last Jedi. And because of that, unfortunately, nobody saw the movie that was probably the most like Star Wars. Even so, even Rogue One wasn't really Star Wars. I didn't feel like it felt Star Wars. It I know there's people close. that want to you know, burn me an effigy because I said that, that it doesn't feel Star Wars-y. <laughs> there's just a lot of things about it that just don't scream Star Wars. Wearing, I'm sorry what happened. Wearing winter gear on a, on a desert planet. We could talk about that a million times. It doesn't matter anymore. But uh, <laughs> I will say this, that the, the Han Solo story... Mm. felt very Star Wars-esque, even though it modernized it and put a spin on it and everything else. It's still, I didn't, I still felt like I was in the Star Wars world. And that's what I think made that movie good. And here yet again, his daughter made a, a an episode of a TV show that felt Star Wars-esque. There's something about the Howards. I think they know what they're doing. You know what? I, I kind of feel like maybe we should be handing some more of Star Wars off to the Howard family and let them Play in the, the the sandbox called Star Wars because they seem to know what they're doing. So Let are them you do saying it. that uh, Kathleen Kennedy's position should be handed off to... No. No? No, that should be handed off to John Favreau. I've been screaming that for oh. ever since John Favreau... I was Favreau. thinking he should stay over in Marvel. No, I've, no I've, I've been screaming John Favreau should be Kathleen Kennedy ever since we came away from the last celebration. I really think he gets it. I think he's the true fans fan. Like, I, I think he really I think Kevin Kennedy's more I worried think, about the numbers. I think he's a lot like Kevin Feige and that Kevin Feige was a huge Marvel fan before he even headed up Marvel. Oh, right? I thought John Favreau was in charge of Marvel. Uh, no, no, that's oh. Kevin Feige. That's oh. that's Favreau. Mixing up people. Favreau did it for a little bit, but honestly, he did it to start the Iron Man movies and stuff like that and then handed it off to Kevin Feige. Like he had the idea, let's interconnect these things. But then he walked away and let Feige really figure out how that, that through line was going to work. I think Favreau's got the same feel for Star Wars. Let him do it now. Like, let him be the through line. I, I think it would be cool to see him do that. So, those were our thoughts on The Mandalorian, uh, everything else, the beginning of our episode, and, of course, our, our thoughts on <laughs> the Howards themselves. And so, we just wanted to kind of conclude and, and let you know that we will continue on next time with the next episode of The Mandalorian. We're going to finish up The Mandalorian, and then I think our goal, correct me if I'm wrong, is to go into WandaVision since that's coming out. 
we'll hit that up and yeah kind of keep rolling along there's gonna be a lot of disney plus stuff coming out so i think we're gonna have plenty to discuss over the course of the next couple of months so yeah like we always like to say here in the star production studios may the force be with those who listen to jedi killer dillian oh you're shatter points <laughs> shazam <laughs> oh, Thanks for taking the time to listen to this episode of the Galaxy Cast. We hope the show enlightened you on some of the latest stories in the realms of science fiction, fantasy, and cosplay. We appreciate your time and we also value your opinion. We'd love to hear from you. Please take some time to send us your feedback at our email, which is galaxycast at gmail.com. Or you can contact us via social media. Just head on over to Facebook or Twitter and search the word GalaxyCast, all one word, and leave us some comments. If you want to see some behind the scenes of our production, head on over to YouTube and search GalaxyCast there as well. You will find us under our Star Productions banner. The GalaxyCast podcast can also be found online at GalaxyCast.com or through your podcast aggregators like the Apple Store or Spotify. The Galaxy Cast is a production by Star Productions. Themed commercials within this episode are also written and produced by Bob Chrisman through Star Productions, all rights reserved. Music from the intro and outro of the Galaxy Cast can be found online at www.silvermansound.com. Intro music is titled Switch Me On, and outro music is titled The Gatekeepers. You can find links in our show notes. Until next time, Galaxy Cast fans. Follow the first star to the right and straight on till morning.